We're starting a new sermon series today called Undeniable, and it speaks to uh, us being God's masterpiece. And when I say us or we, I'm describing the church. Jesus told his disciples that he would build the church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And if Jesus said it, how many believes he can accomplish it? Undeniable. It means we cannot deny that. Ephesians 2. How he's trying to get the fans on or something, I don't know. Off. That's on a button up here. It's remote control. It's more fancy like that. I take it to get you around here, though. Hold. Yeah. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. Ephesians 2:20. The Apostle Paul, writing back to the church that he had planted so many years earlier, he wrote these words: "For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works." that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. So as Paul was writing back to this church, he said, for we, we does not mean only me. If there's anything that I believe that we need to hear today as a people, is for us to abandon our selfishness and return to the pledge that Jesus left his disciples. He didn't choose one disciple that he would leave in charge of it all. He chose 12. And outside of those 12, he had 70 that he called into ministry and sent out two by two. There was times when 3,000 were in the midst that Jesus was there with them and spoke to them on the hillside. We know of occasions where he spoke to 5,000 at once. It takes more than me to be we. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And the reason I'm glad is because it takes you and me to make we. And Jesus is wanting us to link arm in arm, hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, and be the church that he called us to be. We are his workmanship. We, us, together, are his workmanship. And when God is working, sure, he works on an individual basis, and he does know our identity, and he knows who we are at our deepest parts of our being. But in that, he calls us to live outside of ourselves and live for others. And Jesus painted that perfect example when he lived on earth that he didn't come to serve himself, but to serve man. And how often would he be walking and preaching and teaching his disciples and telling stories, parables, to teach others about being together? 
If we can learn anything from the New Testament, it's this, that we need each other. Jesus needed his disciples to pray with him on that mountainside. He was sick of praying by himself. We are his workmanship. Everybody say that with me. For we are his workmanship. The word undeniable means unable to be denied or disputed. This word of God that we hold in our hands today or in our laps or on your phones or however you read your Bible, this is undeniable truth, undisputable, that it cannot be proven wrong. I know there's apologists that defend it in ways that I cannot. And I'm grateful that they exist. How many believes this is true? This is undeniably true. And if we hold that conclusion, and if we've summed it all up and said this is truth, then whatever we're living out and expressing in our life, it needs to exemplify this. Because this is truth. Sometimes we get caught up in our opinions being truth, but Jesus wants us to have his word as truth. It's undeniable. Because I say something, don't make it true. Because Leslie says something, doesn't make it true. But because this is the word of God, it's undeniably true. Sometimes we cherry pick, and Dusty done an awesome job, I believe it was sometime last year, where that he taught a lesson and had us to act it out and proving how often Christians cherry pick God's word to make it the truth that they wish it to be. But actually, God wants us to take the whole counsel of God and let it be truth. But when the Apostle Paul was writing these words in Ephesians and saying, we are his workmanship, when I read that and look at that, I, I, I think about it from a perspective of who was writing it, who was he saying it to, why was he saying it? And what did it really mean? And we know that the Holy Spirit came upon men of old, according to Scripture, and caused them to pen these words that are on these pages. Multiple people, 66 books in total, written in this book that we call the Bible to be truth. But God, the Holy Spirit, came upon them and caused them to write the words that are on these pages. And there was intentional that God didn't just say, well, I need a book, I need a thick book, because there's some people sets out to write a book, and they write a book just to write a book. God wrote this book to tell us truth. So as Paul was writing this, who was Paul? He was a Jewish convert to Christianity that when God actually got a hold of him, it was undeniable that the Apostle Paul was saved. How many agree to that? When he was on that road to Damascus, 
And God flung him to the ground off of his high horse and put blindness upon him. And he was led around by the hand. And he walked into this house, into the city where he went to destroy the Christians. And all of a sudden, God had changed him so radically, so quickly, that it was undeniable that Paul had saw Christ himself. It's undeniable. And as Paul sat in that house, the Holy Spirit came to him, spoke to him, and they called for one to come and lay hands upon him that he may be healed. And it's undeniable, according to the story that we know and we can read in this Bible, to know that Paul, his name was Saul Pryor, and as God got a hold of him and wrestled with him and arrested him, it was undeniable that he had left his old ways for a new way. Because the guy that was all-powerful was in charge, that had a, a document that he was taken to Damascus, and people of authority from the government sent him to go arrest people because they was a Christian. And here he finds himself, the one that was going to go do the arresting, now being the one that was arrested. How often is it that we today allow God to say, no, it's not what you think, it's not your opinion, it's not what you perceive things to be. My reality is truth. And that reality is true and will always be true. It's undeniable. Paul had denied it. He only wanted the version of God that he wanted, that he was raised in. He wanted the doctrine of truth that he had been taught as a child. He set up to feed a game on. He, he studied. He knew God's Word. He knew the Old Testament. But guess what? It's a new day. And God's doing new things. I love it that the Scripture says, Behold, I do a new thing, says God. And yes, we return to old wells. And yes, we go back. And we know and understand that God's been there in the past. But what about right now? Is God moving in our midst now? I hope that that's undeniable. The people can't dispute that. So Paul, as he was saying this to the church at Ephesians, this was the guy that his life had been wrecked because Jesus showed up. And when we know that, and we know that story, and as Christians we, we read through the Bible and we understand these things and we come to truth that we, we see it the way we read it and, and we, we discover new things, and we should continue in that in our Christianity. How long has it been since we've had a rhema word from God? It means a new understanding or an enlightenment, a rhema word, a right now word that likes the, the words of the page jumps off in your face and it comes alive and you're like, how did I never see that before? We as Christians need to have those experiences from God's word that that truth captures us and arrests us to say it's undeniable. I am truth and what you've been living has been a lie. Come on, somebody. We are his workmanship. And as Paul, the arrested one, writes these words to the church that he planted, we are the workmanship of Christ. He has had his hand on me. He changed what I used to think into the new way of truth. And now I'm speaking truth. And guess what? People get set free when truth is spoken. 
It's undeniable. I've seen it work too many times. But what did Paul know about workmanship? What did he, who, who was he to describe what workmanship was? So let's read Acts chapter 18. This is right before he ended up at Ephesus. Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 1. It says, After this, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to depart from Rome. And Paul approached them. Is he saying Jew or juice? <laughs> it sounded like Jew. I, I, I heard Jew. Paul was a Jew. Jews. It's close to the same thing. And Paul approached them. Paul was always, after his conversion, approaching people. I wonder why he approached people. I wonder why he reached out to people of different backgrounds and different ethnic groups and people from different religions and different regions of the world. Paul would reach out and he would approach them. I think he was doing it because he knew we is better than me. And I wonder as a church, after our missionary came a few weeks ago and how beautiful it was, the words that they described, how they are going throughout the world and doing God's work. And I saw some of you this week that uh, they had an online thing and some of you was on there watching and I'm sure they appreciate it when you interact with them. And because it's a lonely world as a missionary when you go into a region of the world that has no Christians, that has no church buildings to go to, that has no children's church, that has no gospel light. The one that we so easily enjoy here in America. Our missionaries need to have a we because if they get alone, if the, if, if the devil is ever able to isolate them and get them separated from the fold, he can play mind games. And when he plays mind games, that's a turf that we don't want to get into it with the devil. Amen? That he creates a storm in a perfect day of sunlight. And all we can see is the gloom and doom that he is presenting to us. But if we ever get out of our comfort zone and approach people the way Paul does here, we're going to approach people and the me becomes we. And guess what? When we become we, we're stronger together than we are apart. The Bible says the twofold strand is not easily broken. Right? That we need to be together. That there is a we to this gospel. And it's undeniable if you look throughout all studies of psychology and all the sociology, all these things, if you study all that, you'll see that it is not good to be alone. And I, there's been people wrote volumes and volumes of books about how it is to not isolate. And isn't it amazing that in the, the good truth book here, in the beginning it says what? God made Adam out of the dust of the earth, Right? What did he do? He looked around and he said, it's not good that man is alone. Isn't it amazing that this truth is truth even when others try to pick it apart? 
and try to say all these things. And it doesn't take a psychology degree to figure out it's not good to be alone. Look at your neighbor and say, I need you. Why? Because we are his workmanship. And yes, he's still working on me, but he's working on me through we. Because if we're so isolated and we're so alone and we're so into a relationship with God that it's just us on a one-on-one basis, you don't allow others to speak in our lives, Jesus needs us to approach each other and be together. Why? Because we can call each other out. Uh oh. I love calling people out. It's just like a, a beautiful experience when I get to call people out. And we went through a sermon series recently where we did that, and it's so awesome to get to watch that happen. Even a few weeks ago, my brother got to be a Russian for once. He was so happy. And his dad called him out and made him sit up front. It was a beautiful thing. But the we is what God is asking of us. Let's lay down our own approaches. And let's pick up the undeniable Christ and say we're better together than we are apart. The we, not the me. So Paul approached them. Then verse 3 says, And because he worked the same trade, he stayed with them and worked with them. For they were tent makers of the trade. So Paul the apostle saw these people. They was coming from Rome because the Roman dictator had kicked them out and exiled them and said, Get out of here. You're not allowed to live here, Christians. We don't need you. Go off and go somewhere else. I don't need you around me. And when they did that, Aquila and Priscilla, they come down through here, and the next thing you know, they was here in Corinth, and, and as they was uh, just set up camp and doing what they knew to do, they had a, had a trade, they could make tents, and the Apostle Paul, just nonchalantly coming through town one day, and wouldn't you know it, that God would put him in contact with people that would be like him so that they could do life together and enjoy life together, and now the me's become we's. And as Paul approached them, he didn't know what they was doing. But when he took the initiative to take a step out of his comfort zone and approach them, wouldn't you know God would cause them to come together from the same trade? For they were tent makers by trade. What's Paul know about workmanship? When he writes these words, we are his workmanship. Paul had a trade. And we've all got trades. Some of us have mastered a trade. Some of us are a jack of all trades and a master of none. But Paul had a trade. He had something that he had mastered to make a living. And it was tent making. And God put him in this region of the earth that he didn't know anybody. But when he left the me to reach out to become we, God had them something in common automatically already in store. And as Paul did that, I wonder if they didn't 
because they was from different regions, didn't have different tent-making uh, little pieces that they done differently. So if Chris is a carpenter and he, he works in carpentry and concrete and building and doing these different things, and have you ever worked around somebody, Chris, from a different region and they did things different than you? They named their tools something different than you did. Right, Tom? You've been around some people when they come from other regions to come here and work. You're like, what? They tell you to go get something. They're like, people from the south, I don't even know where they come up with their terms. It's pretty crazy. Leslie went down to Louisiana for some years, and she come back, and it, it changed her a lot. She's somewhat like them still. I think it's what affected her. But Cajuns. Cajuns, yeah. And I've worked around a few of them. Anybody ever worked around somebody from the south? It, they they talk about the things different. It's just crazy how the different regions bring different insights. So I'm sure as Paul went to get his tent making, all he needed all these materials, and he's thinking about his workmanship and how he's going to really you know show uh, Aquila and Priscilla that man I'm going to, I'm going to make these tents and and we're going to, we're going to work and we're going to produce some things and and God's going to be at work and while we're working and he's working on this and he's showing his workmanship and I'm sure Aquila and Priscilla come over and said well. Why are you doing that? Wouldn't it be a lot easier to do this? This is where the me comes out in us. Come on, somebody. Because my way is the right way. And as I'm working on my tent, and I've got this guy coming over here telling me how to do it, when I've been doing this all my life, I'm making tents all my life, who, who are you from Rome to come and tell me how to build my tent? I'll make my tent, you make your tent. We'll see which one sells better. That's our pride coming up in us, right? But what if we would lay down our agenda for a minute and say, wow, that's a really good idea. If I can transition from doing it this way, now I can produce twice as much. Maybe Aquila was a better tent maker than Paul. What did they know about workmanship? What did Paul know about it? I'm sure he had pride in his work. And we should have pride in our work. Whatever trade you're from. You talk about a diverse crowd. You talk about a bridge. There's loggers here that cut down trees, and then there's people. Howie's got that big fancy sawmill out there now, and he's producing so much that, you know, he's got, if anybody needs anything sawn, just go with him with a pattern. He can, he can get it to you in about five years. <laughs> a one-man sawmill. Then we've got carpenters here, you know. We've got people, just all different diverse trades. It's kind of crazy. We've got people that can work on your animals. We got teachers. We got a county clerk. We got, yeah. We got all kinds of stuff. We got people that's in construction supervision. We got people IT. It's not it. That's county. <laughs> Some people probably IT. What's that? It. What? Somebody does it. Yeah. Um, but we're diverse, and the beauty of it is that I think the workmanship that Paul is describing here is when the me becomes we, it's God calls a diverse group of people to come together in a single purpose to do something extraordinary. Because guess what? I can't do it alone. 
And we all can't reach everybody. Sometimes God calls us out and sends us on a specific journey to a specific person because God wanted Paul to come through the region and get through Corinth. And why? To stop by there and approach somebody that was a tent maker so that they could get acquainted so that they could do the work of the ministry. They was building tents, but guess what? They was building the church. They had no idea when they was sewing those tents together and selling it to people and God causing people to come down the street to buy a tent from Had no idea that they were building the church while they were doing work. When the me becomes we, then the church can be built. That's the church Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. What he was saying was, when I can get a group of me's into a collaborative group of we's, I can transform a mindset and people can do extraordinary things. Why? Because I am in the midst of them. If two or three agree is touching anything, there I will be in the midst of them. I believe this truth that I'm describing to you today, it's undeniable because guess what? When we see people join together and link arm in arm and hand in hand and shoulder to shoulder and lean in and say, guess what? I'm going to watch God move through us, not through me, through us. It's a beautiful thing. Paul the tent maker, he had no idea because he was just approaching people that God was building a church. And it was a diverse church. It crossed the continent, and it crossed the region, and it went outside the borders of his own nation, and it went places that he never thought possible because God sent him on a mission. And our mission today is to take this undeniable gospel to the four corners of the earth and preach it and teach it and live it and be examples of it. Why? Because the world is desperate in need of hope. And Jesus is the hope of glory. Without hope, men are most miserable. You know anybody miserable? Miserable loves company. Misery loves company, right? Look at your neighbor and say, get up off me. What if we would turn our misery into mission? What if the Apostle Paul would have sat there in Damascus and said, you know what, God hates me so much that he struck me blind. And I know he's telling me to call for this guy to come and pray for me, but I just don't feel it right now. And I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to sit in this corner of this house and I'm going to live out the rest of my days here in misery. He could have chose to do that. But obedience will cause you to do something that you wouldn't have done otherwise. And when God told him to call out for those people to come and pray with him, and Ananias, come and pray with me. They sent for him. And Ananias came. He was scared to come. Why? Because this is Paul that was killing people in Jerusalem. Why do I want to go lay hands on Jesus? Why are you telling me, go lay hands on somebody that's killing people? I don't feel like it right now. Because we judge people according to their backgrounds and what they have done when God sees what they can do. Do you hear me? Stop challenging and judging people according to what they have done and look at them to what they can do because that's the way God looks at them. He sees potential in individuals that would come together and the me's become we's will change the world. 
Jesus did that through those 12 disciples. It was so beautiful last week how that these youth group, teenagers, stood up and declared truth in a way that we adults are scaredy cats. They talked about stuff that I don't like talking about. Come on, somebody. To have a little teenage girl stand up here and say, sex. And I was like, I about had a heart attack over here. It's like, I'm going to go crawl in a corner somewhere. Her dad was sitting in the back of the room. It's like, come on, man. But she told, she told truth. To talk about drinking, to talk about mental health, to talk about the things they talked about was so beautifully articulated from a group that they didn't do it as me's, they done it as we's. And if we could have learned anything from last week, let's lay ourselves down, adults, and say, God, help me to be like them. Because they are going to transform this world. Come on, son. they are going to turn this world on its head. Why? Because they believe impossible things are possible. The older we get, the more impossible th- things seem. It's like, I, we can't do this. Well, you can't do that. Well, we can't do this. And it's a can't society that we're living in. God is asking for us to lay down our me's and to become we's. It's undeniable today that I, as I'm studying this, and looking at this sermon series that God is calling us out today, it's undeniable that we are his workmanship. And if you can't see him at work here, take your blinders off. If you can't see him at work at the bridge, take your blinders off because God is at work. He's doing something. And he gives us a hope in our county that impossible things are possible. Why? Because he shows up and he does what he does. He does miracles. It's undeniable. It's just flat out, it's plain truth. As simple as that. I got so much more to say, but it's eleven twenty-six. And I got two more weeks. And I intended for this to be about leading to Christmas and all holiday grandeur, but guess what? God wants us to do something. He's calling us. So I've got to get to this so that I stop. I've got four minutes left. Everybody say you got four more minutes, Pastor. Don't set a timer because Leslie hollers at me when I say that. Four minutes means 40 sometimes, and she gets mad when I say it. But Okay, so how many's ever seen um, Undercover Boss? Has anybody ever watched Undercover Boss? It's, it's come back out. It used to be on years ago. and I, I love Undercover Boss because I sit and cry like a big baby. And at the endings, you know, it's like you can tell how the music comes on. And the music just sets the tone and sitting there and then they're describing all these things. I'm just start bawling and crying at the end of the show and all that. But as you watch the beginning of the show, it's, it's like you see the interaction. And if you don't know who, what Undercover Boss is, let me describe it this way. It's a CEO will abandon their post in an office and they will come out and they'll put on a disguise and get made up and, you know, they totally look like a different person and they go out and they work with the people they work with. So it's like a boss undercover comes out and does work with the people. And I've been watching a bunch of them here lately, the new ones, because Leslie got me signed into something and I've been watching them. I've seen them on TV, so I've been watching 
undercover boss lately, so it's kind of hit me. And as it happens, you'll see that the boss initially comes out and says, well, I'm going out and I'm going to work amongst the people so that I can see what's going on and get the truth from the people I'm working with so that I'm not just looking at it from my golden office perspective, the 30,000-foot view. I want to get down in the weeds. And they'll leave the comfort of their office and go down and work. And some of them, I watched one last night from California, and a, a lady was there, and she's the mayor of this town, and I don't even remember the name of the town, but she goes out there, and she's out there, and, and I loved it because she went with her uh, uh, sewer department workers. It's awesome. And the uh, beauty was that the, that the sewer got stopped up, and the pumps was crammed full of debris. Let's call it that way. <laughs> it's a little more churchy. Um, and he goes out there, and that guy tells her, well, the pump's down. We've got to run downtown. And they go down there, and they pull this pump up out of the pit. And I've seen this happen. And I've seen people in waders, I've, plumbing. I've, I've been there and done that. And, and I watched them, and, and they got it, and they, they pulled it up out of there and dropped it down. And, and she looked, and the whole bottom side was just stuck, plumb full of debris. debris. And, and, and it's beautiful because the guy was like, it was this lady, and you know, she was kind of girly too. And, and it's like, okay, well, your job is, you know, you're, I know you're wanting to come in and do this kind of work for a living. And they're trying to explain to her how this is. And they said, oh, here's the tools of trade. And they hand her a pair of channel locks. And she grabs those channel locks and, and she reaches down, and that guy's down there, and they go to pulling and yanking out piece by piece of debris. And next thing you know, there's like debris laying on the ground. And then there's one big hub of debris that's impacted by other debris. And when they pull it out, it's like, and they're standing there holding it on the camera, and it's like, what awesome sight. And she's like, I think that give up on her trade. And she said, I don't know I want to do this for a living, right? But the guy was telling her about why he was doing this was because he had a wife at home that had just been diagnosed with something. He said, the reason I work so much is because I have to do it for her. You talk about a marriage. When it's not about me and it's about we. When God joins together, no man can separate. When we lay down the me's and we become the we's, what an awesome thing that God points and paints. And as they did this, he was telling about how he needed his wife. And he said, I need her. I need her to be alive. And we need to go see the world and we need to do some things that we haven't done and take vacations that we haven't took. And always how the ending goes with, if you haven't watched some of these, just go watch them. It's on YouTube. You can watch old Undercover Boss. You can watch new ones. And it's undeniable that every time the supervisor, the CEO, the whoever, the undercover boss goes out and they see potential in people that don't even believe in herself. And when they do, they always go back and they take and bring them back in at the end of the show and they say, I saw this in you. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to use it throughout our whole marketplace. Our whole line of business is going to be changed because of a quality you possess. And when bosses figure this out, that it's not about me and my ideals and me cramming things down from the top down. It's about the workers down there in the field. Come on, somebody. It's about those out there grunting it out that matter. 
And when we go to them, there's good ideals of people, sometimes with low IQs, sometimes with people that has no education. And it may be you're in a CEO and you're in this high-fluting position and you got all these degrees and you got more degrees than a thermostat. But guess what? Sometimes God uses the weak amongst us to show us a better way. We're better as a we than we are as a me. It's undeniable. But always that capital, that boss will place capital. He will put money ahead. And used to, I'm sure he was watching the bottom line to see how much the budget was and how, how much they was going to make that year and what's my margin and this and yada, yada, yada in business terms. But guess what? When they get out there in the streets and they see that person pulling out diapers out of the bottom of a pump, and they say, that person say, I'm doing it because my wife, because I love her, and I'll do dirty things. All of a sudden, the budget don't matter anymore. And they'll take capital. And she said, we're going to put $50,000 out of this county's budget, the city's budget, and we're going to put this new automated system in so that you guys can not have to work as many hours so you can go take those breaks that you need to go take. It's undeniable that each of us possess a deposit from the kingdom of God. And when we give our lives to Him, God sees greatness in us. I went more than four minutes. Will you allow God to invest His capital in you? And what if He's an undercover boss and He's coming down and He's going on the streets with you this week? He's watching every move you make. He's watching every word you say. He's watching every action that you perform. What he's seeing you doing kingdom business. Sometimes you may see, I'm just building a tent. I don't see how that's doing anything to build the church. But God says, I can use your tent building to build a church. Because I can do things that you can't do when I get you to join together with others. I want you guys to come up and play this last song again. Let's, I want to play that one more time. And I want, I want us in this place today to just sing the words of this song. And let it be our declaration of truth today. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. And let him do whatever he wants to do.